here is to a live chat that doesn't have a ton of issues. This is my protein drink because I came from the gym and I haven't showered yet. As you can see, I look like a disaster. Mm. Hello, everybody. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the Promotional Malpractice Live Chat here on MMAfighting.com. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll go for about 90 minutes today talking about the latest and greatest in mixed martial arts. We're off the heels of Bellator 179 and Invicta 23. UFC Stockholm is this weekend, although there's not a ton of buzz for it. Um, the fighter retreat was over the weekend. That was certainly a show. We have the whole TJ Dillashaw versus Demetrius Johnson talk. We have the whole Yoel Romero versus Whitaker sign, or well, not sign, but certainly announced, ready to go. Um lot to get to. lot to get to. Best place to do it, of course, is going to be on MMAfighting.com where this window is embedded. Subscribe to the MMA Fighting channel now. Give the video a thumbs up. And uh, let's get ready to rock. Thank you so much for joining me. All right. Let us get to the questions. Let's see here. All right. Oh, and if you want to ask a question on Twitter, you may at L Thomas News. You can or you can do that, or you can just use the hashtag Chat Rappers. The description for all of that and the explanation is in the post again where this is embedded. So there you go. All right, first question: UFC athlete retreat. What do you make of the UFC athlete retreat 2017? What do you think the UFC wanted to accomplish? And what did they, in fact, accomplish? What do you think is the most important story coming out of the event? Boy, these are good questions. Right off the break. Well, a couple of things here. Let's see. Let me make sure my audio is working, and it is. I will keep that window up just to see what's going on. All right, the athlete retreat. Um, the athlete retreat is interesting because it's a complicated scenario, right? The athlete retreat is something that if there were a fighter's union or association – that they would be doing. That's their function. Their function is to do things like um, provide potential guidance on financial planning, um, uh, to have an event where you can foster unity or camaraderie, um, you know, to answer questions about if there were a union, let's say, you know, what the next collective bargaining agreement might look like, what are some of the nuances of the last one, it feels like what the responsibility is of a union. Um, so on the one hand, it's like an indictment on the fact that there is no union. On the other hand, you know, is the UFC, is this really what they should be doing? Um, is it an act of generosity? Probably in some degree. Is it an act of self-preservation to prevent probably the need for better and more coordinated collective action? Maybe there's a strategic element. Even if that's a cynical ploy, it's certainly a realistic one. So there's probably a little bit to that. I think that's what really this is about. I mean, they probably do want guys to save their money. They probably do want them to train in a more uh, healthy way. They probably do want them to market themselves better. But at the same time, they probably also want to provide some of those functions in an organized and um, um, direct way so that a union doesn't rise up. I think it's probably both of those things. And that's just the real world. You know, I don't think there's anything really... If the fighters aren't going to get off their ass and do it, and the and the UFC can act in a way that prevents them or you know disincentivizes them from doing it, I mean, this is the world we live in, right? You can be mad about it, but that's the way it is. So that's really what I think it's all about. 
Um, is it effective? Only time will tell. I think probably some of that stuff is effective. Some of it probably goes in, in one ear and out the other. Um, I don't know if there's any real, real immediate way to gauge its effectiveness. In correspondence with the direct wording of the question, what do you think the UFC wanted to accomplish? All the things that their seminar set out to do. Um, I think they probably also wanted to quell discontent to the extent possible. You know, in previous chats, we have talked about the old order of matchmaking and this general malaise that has crept over the organization like a fungus that cannot be controlled. I think they probably wanted to, you know, push back on that a little bit. Um, they, want, they, you know, they probably want the fighters to have a good time. They did hire Snoop Dogg. I think there's money much better spent in other ways, but... Be that as it may, they certainly probably wanted to do that, right? You know, raise spirits, lift interest, get people involved, make the organization or make the fighters believe that the organization cares about them uh, and their interests and and their long-term um, satisfaction. That's probably what they wanted to accomplish. Whether they accomplished that or not, I don't know. What do you think the most important story coming out of the event? Well, the biggest story is the Cyborg Magana nonsense, but, um, you know, the most important Story coming up, probably Cajun Johnson raising issues with Reebok. Um, sounds like Anheuser-Busch did themselves no favors. Um, so, now you had, I think, Aljamain Sterling, Jessica Penny, Cup Swanson, all uh, taking to social media and describing what an absolute disaster whoever their rep was in trying to get that um, taken seriously. So, um, I don't think it was all well that uh, ends well kind of scenario. Certainly, Leslie Smith uh, prodding Kobe Bryant to speak about athlete unity, I think, is a big story. Those are the most important stories that came out of that, is that publicly the fighters in some form, still a disorganized form, but some form banding together um, to raise awareness about problems that have a, a collective interest and probably a collective solution. The biggest story that came out of it was Cyborg slugging Angela Magana in the face um, for whatever that's worth. So so that's what I think about the athlete retreat. I think basically this is something that a union should be doing, that the UFC is doing probably both out of real generous spirit and probably also to uh, disincentivize over the long haul the fighters' belief that they need to have some kind of other entity outside of what the services the UFC provides directly. Uh, hey, Luke, in light of what happened to Jacques Array, do you think it was a good idea for Romero to accept the fight with Whitaker? It seems like too big a risk with mediocre reward and interim belt. Especially since after Jacare lost his fight, he is now, for better or worse, considered overrated. And basically nobody talks about him. He is not considered overrated by anyone with a mammalian brain. Let's make that distinction. I mean, there are plenty. plenty. The world is not in a shortage of utter donks who's opinions do not deserve to be taken seriously. And some of them might believe Jacare is overrated, but it does not matter what they think. They do not drive the narrative and their conversations amongst themselves are utterly meaningless. They are ants. Neither MMA fans nor MMA journalists wants to talk about him. Well, certainly he uh, has fallen off in terms of relevant title picture, but I mean, there's lots of really good fighters who aren't in that who are in a similar predicament. I wouldn't I wouldn't call them yesterday's trash. Don't you think there's an excellent chance for Romero to have the same fate? Yeah, I do think Whitaker might be the favorite heading into that contest, but so what? This is what it's about, right? I mean, look, what are you gonna do? You're gonna wait for 
you're going to wait for Bisping, they might end up doing that GSP thing. I mean, it looks like maybe that ship has sailed, but we still don't fully really know. I guess it has. I mean, if I had to bet, I'm guessing it has. But at the same time, you just never know how things can switch on a dime. These guys want to stay active. They want to get paid. They probably like their chances. If you're Yoel Romero, wouldn't you like your chances to beat just about anybody at middleweight? They want to get out there and they want to get busy. And they're competitors, man. You know, look, it's hard to explain. There's not one overarching way in which to view fighter interest or um, uh, participation or calculations about what are the right and the wrong decisions. Sometimes taking a little bit more risk makes more sense. Sometimes taking a step back makes a little bit more sense. It's never one universal constant about when to push the gas and when to push the brake. You know, the UFC is offering you an interim title. I know that's not the greatest thing, but it puts you in a, a path, to, I think, to potentially get more money because of the title considerations. Certainly, you're getting in a bigger show, right? You're going to be the main event or the co-main event at a bare minimum. Um, you could win. That would solidify you as the number one contender. And you know, look, you can make a strong argument. Um, you know, Michael Bisping is the undisputed middleweight champion of the world, and that is not up for debate. But you could, if you wanted to, make an argument that the winner of Romero versus Whitaker is the best middleweight. That's not a small achievement, man. These guys are not in it for the most part to be out there horsing around and you know not getting what's what's what they believe is the, is their due in terms of uh, overall impact on the sport. They want to get out there and they want to get busy. Um, and Romero's, you know, what forty, almost forty. He doesn't have a lot of time to waste to just be sitting around. It's different when you're 28 versus when you're 38 or 39. So I completely understand why he would want to do it. But to your point, does it carry risk? Sure, it carries a lot of risk. There is no, there is nothing in the fight game that comes without risk for the most part. And this is one of them. You could lose to Whitaker and you never got that Bisping fight. And maybe if you had waited for the Bisping fight, you could have won. I get it. I'm not saying it's not carrying a risk, but this guy just doesn't have a lot of time to waste. I don't think losing to Whitaker would you know dramatically drop him outside. Of title consideration, he could get back in there pretty quickly. I, I suspect, um, you know, relatively quickly anyway. So, you know, there are times to step on the gas and times to step on the brake. This one carries a little bit of risk. It's not an obvious call, but hard to see how this one is a bad one. Um, my two cents about the fighter retreat. Someone says it seemed like a fun event and a nice goodwill gesture for the greener fighters. I.e., if you came off the regional scene within the last couple of years, it was probably quite exciting to tour the new facility, see Kobe speak, and attend a free Snoop concert. That's probably true, although if you're a more veteran fighter, you're probably thinking to yourself, couldn't this money have been spent elsewhere? But be that as it may, but number one, the biggest UFC stars didn't even attend, and two, for experienced guys like Raging Al, I totally get the impulse to say, don't waste money and give me your own free concert. Pay me. That is a very good summation. I would agree with all of that. Uh, summer fight shakeups. All right. Hello, Luke. Hello. How do you think the fight between Romero and Whitaker will go? Um, I have to think about that more. My sense is that, um, you know, Romero just takes time off and takes rounds off and then just explodes. And that's really hard to make a prediction around, you know? You could have seen him beating Chris Weidman, but did you see him do it by flying knee KO in one shot? I mean, maybe you did. I'm sure someone did, but I, saw, I read a lot of pre-fight predictions. That wasn't one of them. Um, so it's hard to say exactly you know, what he'll be able to do, but you can sort of envision a scenario where he can catch someone and he can put them on their head and he can just explode in an instant and all of a sudden just overwhelm you. You think about the elbows he landed on Machida or 
something like that. You know, he has an ability to do that. He's really athletic. So, so that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is Whitaker is just really a much more well-rounded fighter and as a patient fighter has a better command of distance. And as a consequence, he'll be able to, you know, land combinations and steer Romero in a way where he can beat him up, wear him down, and then close the show late. I probably would favor Whitaker in this contest. Whitaker is a beast, man. He's a beast. Um, so I probably would favor Whitaker, but, but you know, Romero, <laughs> not to be trifled with, right? That guy is that guy is something special. I have to have a napkin when I drink protein shakes now because it all gets in my beard. Uh, all right, let's see. Would you prefer for TJ Dillashaw to fight Mighty Mouse or wait for Cody to heal up? Someone who is uh, hilarious writes, Luke's big on seeing Ray Borg get murdered in the octagon. Yeah, Y'all keep sleeping on Ray Borg. You see what happens. Um, so I had a big, there was a big debate on Twitter about it. There is a big debate. On, I mean, it wasn't just my debate. It was a big debate generally. I, I participated a little bit on Twitter this morning. Um, boy, this is a really interesting scenario where you have uh, a fight that basically no one ever talked about ever. And unless it was like maybe, you know, uh, a bantamweight contest if TJ had remained champion or something. But there's really been no organic push ever for TJ versus DJ. But because Garbrandt pulls out, you're trying to figure out what to do now. Uh, TJ floats the idea on Twitter and there's some momentum behind it. Uh, I am not in favor of it. I'm not in favor of it. And so I know a lot of people, well, let me correct that. I know some people are. I think it's a vocal minority. First of all, not everyone in the hardcore community is for it, but there are a lot of people inside the hardcore community who are. Outside the hardcore community, this is a non-discussion. No one's thinking about it. No one cares about it. No one knows the difference between Ray Borg and TJ Dillashaw. Trust me. That's, that's not great, but that's just a fact. Um, there is no way to consider this a money fight in under any reasonable definition of a money fight doesn't exist. Um, he would get, D, uh, um, DJ would get marginally more attention for this and marginally more money. I suspect not, not a significant difference by any stretch of the imagination. Do not let, uh, you know, I hate to sound like Jason Whitlock, but certainly do not let the Twitter, um, you know, vocal minority convince you into thinking that this is, you know, the general consensus. There are admittedly, I will say, there's no denying, there's admittedly a lot of people who like this fight. And look, there is a lot to like. It's not that you look at this and go, that fight would suck. It's not It's not the issue. Um, sure, I think that fight would be great at either bantamweight or flyweight, but that's really not the overriding consideration. I think the bigger picture here for me is that, look, these are lean times, man. There are not a lot of fun fights out there on the horizon, are there? There's just not. This is a boom and bust sport. If you've been watching this live chat long enough, you probably heard me say that over a thousand times from 2014 through 2016 and to now again. There are going to be great years and they're going to be down years. And the difference between them is going to be, in some ways, uh, enormous. This is an enormous departure from the high of 2016. It just is. And so in these lean times, I can totally understand fan interest and even to some extent media interest as well around putting a fight together that feels more interesting. I'm not 
clueless about the appeal of this fight. No one looks at this fight on paper and goes, man, that would suck. No one with half a brain. Of course, this fight would be, at least on paper, I mean, you never know, but certainly on paper, it, it, it seems quite intriguing. But that, to me, is not really enough of a, of a, of a criteria to make it. Number one, it's, it's not a money fight. Number two, it's not a super fight. If TJ had a title, I think the conversation would be a little bit different, but he doesn't. Uh, and in fact, not only does he have a title, he's got an obligation to the guy in the weight class above who does. Like They have unfinished business that I don't think is that far off in the future. So there are a number of other problems that would create be created here, but we talked about this when they did uh, McGregor versus Alvarez, where how do you give a title shot in a guy, for a guy who... Um, in that case, he was moving up. But the point being is, how do you create a fight that's a super fight in that sense, which this is not. But even if you wanted to call this a super fight, what are the reasons by which you would do it? And the reason you have to do is, is there enough of a compelling motivation here to override architecture and, in this case, deserving contendership? And I don't see how you can possibly make that argument. Why? Because you like X versus Y more than X versus Z? That is not a reason. All kinds of problems can be created in two weight classes if you make this fight and something goes wrong, which, by the way, happens, I don't know, all the time. Like, to me, what this really boils down to is we are in lean times. These are salad days, man. And so everyone is looking around and saying, what's the most interesting fight we can make? But that's not how this works. The most interesting fight at heavyweight is not Stipe versus JDS, who had a one-fight winning streak before he got a rematch with JDS. To me, it's, I don't know. How are you going to reasonably say Stipe versus JDS is more interesting than Stipe versus Jones? It's not. How are you going to say that, uh, uh, hell, how about JDS versus Cormier or Cormier versus Stipe is more interesting than Stipe versus JDS? They're not. The all the all I can think of a, a gazillion fights that are more interesting than the ones that would ordinarily get made. There is an architecture in the sport, right? And, and some of this shit is just going to go away anyway when they start licensing guys via weight class like they're going to do in california you won't even be able to do some of this stuff anymore this is going away this exists for a reason and because fans are bored and i get it i completely get it you're you're dying for a big fight believe me i share that spirit trust me i do but there needs to be a real compelling reason to override this plumbing and architecture of the sport that holds it together the way in which we construct it and I'm not ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater for a more marginally compelling fight um, that TJ has, or excuse me, that DJ has no real incentive to take that won't do significantly more much money that could create a number of different problems. I, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't meet any of the tests for me. It doesn't. McGregor versus Alvarez easily surpasses those. Jesus Christ, Bisping versus GSP is borderline in my judgment. And you all are out there talking about a guy who's not champion dropping a weight class because his one fight with a title shot that he still has dropped out, and you want to fill that because you don't like Ray Borg. Ray Borg is a good fighter. Ray Borg is on, what, a five-fight winning streak? Let me see here. I believe. I've been sleeping on Ray Borg. I take all that back, man. I've been having that wrong. If he lost to the Scoggins fight, he's had some weight class or some weight weight issues. But here is his UFC run. He, he, his UFC debut, he lost to Dustin Ortiz, which is split decision. He beats Shane uh, Howell, Chris Kilares, uh, the La Pulga, um, Gene Herrera, loses to Justin Scoggins, beats Luis Smolka, and then beats Juicier Formiga, and beats him cleanly too. Uh, so what, five of his last six he's won. 
I mean, case closed for me. The, the idea, everyone, like I mentioned before, wants to throw the baby out with the bathwater because we're dealing with a time in the sport where it's just a lot less interesting. And I get it. If you're a fan, you're saying to me, Luke, I don't have any obligation to respect any of that stuff. I'm a fan. I pay money for fights I want to see. I get it. I'm not arguing with you in that respect. It's very, very difficult to ask fans to have delayed gratification. But that's not the position from which I arrive here. I don't have to ape a fan's interest because I recognize that that interest from that perspective is valid. In looking at the bigger picture here, it's not going to be lean times forever. This will rebound. What damage will you have done to this architecture by the time you get back to a point where it's a lot easier to make those fights in that weight class? You'll just bounce back to that? No. You will have set a, ho a horrible new precedent about what can be allowed. Either we're going to have weight classes or we're not going to have weight classes. And it looks like we're going to have them. And it looks like not only are we going to have them, but the future is going to be one where you are medically tied to it. TJ Dillashaw, according to uh, Danny Rube, Rubenstein, didn't even wrestle at 125 in college. He's going to make 125? Maybe he does. What's he going to look like? Is that medically advisable? I'm against weight cutting and MMA. No, now you're for it because it's more convenient. I mean, he already looks pretty lean to me at 135. I mean, maybe he can make it, but in a healthy way? I, I certainly have some questions about that. So, look, if you're looking at this on paper and you're saying this is better than the Borg fight on paper, I mean, in the end, you never know. But certainly on paper, I'm not arguing with you. TJ versus DJ kicks ass on paper. But there's not enough compelling reason to override the architecture of the sport to make it. It does marginally better business. Marginally. And and there's and the guy is not a champion coming down. And he owes a champion at a weight class up. What kind of problems can happen if he goes and beats TJ, or beat, excuse me, beats DJ and then gets injured against Garbrandt. I mean, I guess you can do Cruz again, but then they might create an interim title depending on how bad. I mean, things can go bad in an instant. Notice that every time we create one of these super fights, you have to create an interim title right behind it. So which is it? You're sick of interim titles or you want this fight to, to, to happen? Which, by the way, isn't even a real super fight. And look, let's just be real about it. We were talking about Robert Whitaker and, and what kind of challenge that poses to Yoel Romero. It's a risk. It's a risk. It's no doubt about it, a risk. There are times to hit the gas and hit the brake. I think this is one where you're almost 40. You may never get to wrap gold around your waist. You got to go for it. You got to go for it. But in TJ's, excuse me, DJ's case, he's about to break the record against, by the way, if he fights Ray Borg, uh, a real flyweight, a very, very good flyweight. You know, and everyone's like, he'll run over Borg. Yeah, I mean, I'm picking him to beat Borg. But, you know, if you live through... Uh, Matt Sarah beating GSP. If you lived through, you know, Sukaju just bulldozing, was it Arona and Little Nog and like, like it was nothing. You realize, man, shit can go bad very easily in a sport. Upsets happen all the time. All you have to do is zig when you are supposed to zag and things can go super, super bad. This guy's supposed to take that risk against TJ Dillashaw, who has never fought at flyweight, never even wrestled at flyweight, who is obviously a very, very good fighter, has no contendership meritocracy in this division whatsoever versus Ray Borg, who does when he's about to break the record, he has a zero incentive to take that for marginally more money. If any more money at all, why on earth would he accept that? You've already got everything in place. What's happened here is we're 
in a depressed time, a big fight that we kind of wanted or a reasonably big fight that we kind of wanted to fill through, and now we just want to grasp and figure out something to satisfy our need. We have this internal need as fight fans to say we need that, I need that itch scratched. I need to get my fix. But just tearing things apart and piecing them together in the short run has long-term risk that I don't really think this is worth. I don't want to fuck another division up so that we can spend another year and a half unfucking it. For this fight? No. Uh-uh. Not big enough. Not big enough. Not nearly compelling enough of a reason. Sorry. Not for me. Opinions will vary. I get it. But not for me. All right. Miraculously, the sound is still working. My cup runneth over. All right. Cyborg versus Magana. Jesus. Like, what are your thoughts on this whole Cyborg Magana situation? I don't really care. Uh, I had to talk about it on my radio show all week because apparently that's what everyone's talking about. Um, yeah, look, man. We live in a society of laws. You have to obey them, right? It's, pre it's pretty simple. Um, you know, it wasn't like Magana was... Uh, taking away cyborgs, um, you know, challenging her her rights as a citizen, which she is. You know, this isn't some kind of we didn't land on Plymouth Rock, Plymouth Rock landed on us kind of scenario. So you can't just go around punching people. It's not, this is not an effective means of protest, right? I mean, look what's going to happen. The district attorney might press charges. Um, I don't think she'll spend any time in jail, but now this is certainly a question about whether she might. She's certainly going to face some kind of penalty one way or the other legal. Um, professionally, this is a terrible look for someone who wants to be a UFC champion, right? Who has been uh, at odds with the promotion. It's just not smart, man. It's just not smart. I, you know, you just can't go around doing stuff like that, uh, even if it might feel incredibly satisfying to do. Uh, on the other hand, you know, I have positively zero sympathy for Angela Magana, who goes out of her way. Uh, to be a terrible person to other people for reasons that remain deeply unclear to any rational observer. Her getting slugged in the face, while I certainly agree that law enforcement has a job to do, you know, I, ca I cannot imagine a less sympathetic character imaginable. Um, you know, and I think Cyborg's got a point about, you know, look, at this. Th she's been insulted. Like, look, there's criticisms to make of Cyborg. You know, to what extent has she crossed the line in terms of performance-enhancing drug use from a, from a real evidentiary standpoint. Not my Here's my speculation about what she's on, but hey, we have evidence that in the Strike Force days this happened, and certainly she was at least flirting with that kind of issue more recently with this um, medication that she said was trying to treat her you know, problems from weight cutting. But either way, you know, there's some open questions about to what extent she has really adhered to the, to the line. That's one criticism you can make. Another one you could make is... Um, you know, doing stuff like this, being at odds with the promotion constantly. How much is how much of her is her own uh, worst enemy uh, issues? Right. These are these are fair, substantive critiques that someone can make of them. But if you're an adult, you know, and you're just going out there and and whoever this is, and it goes. It's your her point was, how can I expect anyone at the fighter level to respect me if at the brass level? I'm, I'm being insulted for my appearance. I mean, it's the lowest common denominator of insults. It's not a substantive critique. It doesn't really do anything except also make you feel good. It's cruel. It's bullying. And she snapped. And, um, 
while I understand that from a human perspective, I you know, you have to do something about it legally, but you know, there, there it's cyborg deserves the, 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 uh, bulk of the blame here. Cause you can't go around punching people in the face. Like, what are you doing? You're a prize fighter. You're fighting for free in the street. Cause it feels good to punch someone who's been mean to you. Like you just can't do stuff like that ever. At the same time, like everyone be like clutching their pearls. <gasps> Magana was assaulted. I mean, that's about the lamest use of the word assault I've ever seen. I've been assaulted. Trust me. It didn't look like that. It looked a lot worse getting stomped out and teeth broken. This is assault only under the most maybe technical definition ever. And, you know, other fighters punching other fighters in the face. Uh, our, our Grabaka Hitman talking about, you know, Nick Diaz and uh, Joe Riggs brawling in a hospital. And everyone's like, yeah, it's just that Diaz guys being Diaz guys. You know, yeah, pull the IV out of his arm. So the blood shoots out everywhere, which apparently also happened. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. And then Cyborg goes and punches someone who could not be a less sympathetic character if she possibly tried. And everyone's like, oh, my pearls, where are my pearls? I need to clutch them because I'm so morally horrified. Come on, man, please. Someone writes, oh, yes, this is the same gentleman who said I wanted to see Ray Borg get squashed. Uh, Demetrius is scared. He wants to get the title defense record by hiding behind the veil of rankings. When in reality, Ray Borg is so undeserving, it's not even funny. He hasn't made championship weight. I hope they make the fight and Ray does what he always does, miss weight. All right. That's hilarious. Like, like it's a given TJ can make 125 or, by the way, has even fought there before. But okay. Let's see. Yeah, how about this? Someone, uh, uh, Danny Segura asked me, plus there's the whole buildup for Cody TJ fight with Tough 26. Can't just throw that away, right? So what happens if, let's go, let's say uh, TJ gets viciously KO'd, right? They make the fight. How long could he be out for? Um, what if he tears his ACL in the middle of that fight? Right? I mean, it's just all kinds of complicating factors. And you're like, well, that could happen in any fight. That's right. It could happen in any fight. Except he already owes or presumably wants that title fight with Garbrandt, which this whole season of the Ultimate Fighter was built around. I mean, you your pot committed to that. Now we're just going to go the other way because he wants to fight. I mean, for marginally more money? Nah. Nah, bro. Tough 25, sorry. All right. Someone says, my mind immediately jumped to the conclusion that DJ is using Ray Borg as a negotiating tool to get paid when UFC comes to DJ, offering him the TJ fight. It's possible. Unlikely, but possible. What has DJ always wanted? A million dollar paycheck. Perfect time now more than ever if he has already heard Dana saying that he loves the DJ Dillashaw fight. He ain't getting a million dollars for that, y'all. I mean, there's no... This is this is my point. It's not a money fight. They're not going to pay him... a They're not going to pay him a million dollars for this contest. No, If they were, maybe that would change the calculation. If this fight was so financially rewarding and so big and so many people wanted to see it, 
this would be like there was in the case of McGregor versus Alvarez. Okay, we can talk about it. But we're not even, I mean, this is not a pimple on the ass of that. Is DJ using Ray Borg as a pawn to get more money from the UFC? Possible but unlikely. My 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 sense of what DJ is is, is said is the same thing always. I don't need to change weight classes. No one, no other champ is asked to change weight classes as much as him. George St. Pierre never changed him. I mean, now when he comes back after retirement or semi-sabbatical, he's changing weight classes, but he never did while he was in there. He assiduously avoided any fight at middleweight. And he's saying, well, Anderson Silva is not as popular as he used to be. Right. At his peak, you still didn't want to fight him. So I don't understand that argument at all. Like when he was around, your argument was, well, it takes time to get to 185 big enough. I've still got the one in 70 pound strap. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Now you've got none of those problems. Now the problem is he has no stock. Like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't quite understand the consistency there, but, but the point being is he never had to leave his weight class. Never. Anderson Silva did it in a way where, uh, quite successfully, um, you know, he was able to, you know, make it look, uh, probably a lot easier than it was and beating a former champ and doing it and force Griffin, like credit to him, man. But he, his point is I should be paid in the way in which this sport has set itself up. I am the king of this weight class to a degree that is overwhelming. Um, I don't need to leave it. No other champion ever has to leave it, has to leave it. I mean, you can leave it. You don't have to, especially when it's up against a guy who has no, um, who has no, he's not leaving the weight class, but accepting a challenger from another weight class who has no background in the weight class whatsoever. I mean, that's the part I don't get. Like Griffin Silva was non-title uh, up a weight class. This is TJ defending his title against a guy who has no background in that weight class for marginally more gain than what you would get with Ray Borg. I get it. It's a fun fight on paper. So is Cormier versus Stipe. Let's make it, right? Let's make it. Oh, well, him and Kane have issues. So what? Right? So what? It's what I want. Uh, TJ ended Holdsworth's career. Do you think these allegations are true? I don't know. Maybe it's possible. You know, uh, Holdsworth had denied it, said it's not true. So for what it's worth, Uriah alluded to much the same thing on stud radio show immediately after TJ left. Holdsworth himself has denied it, but he might have designs on one day returning. So doesn't want the story to follow him. That could be true. I don't know. The only thing is, I don't, I don't know what the situation with, with Holdsworth is. I mean, look, the, the alpha male guys are great. I like all of them. But I don't know that I would solely take their word about the character of TJ Dillashaw strictly from them. They have a very jaundiced view of him. Um, I'm sure they have certainly a lot of insight and wisdom to share about him. But they also have a bias that I think partly clouds their judgment. And, and look, I wouldn't trust TJ and his assessment about those guys completely either. The, he has a jaundiced view about them. I mean, look at how much they are at odds with each other. This is like divorce court. In any kind of divorce court, can you really believe everything the wife says about the husband or vice versa? I'm sure in some cases you could, but this one, it just feels like it's really, really hard to get at the truth. Is it certainly possible that he uh, acted like a savage and um, concussed Holdsworth to a degree that has made his return to the UFC very difficult? That, that, doesn't, that doesn't sound crazy to me. Hold on, let's see if we're working here. Yeah. Let's see. Yes. That does not sound crazy to me at all. Doesn't sound crazy to me at all. The only thing that I kind of um, take issue with is this whole discussion about uh, the KO tape, where allegedly uh, Cody KO TJ. 
I cannot think of a less interesting story out there than that one where it's like, I've got tape. I want to get paid to release it. I mean, come on, fellas. I mean, look, if you have spent any time in any kind of an MMA gym over the course of your career, you will see guys get dropped and slept in practice all the time, including by guys. The guy who gets slept is better than the one who does the sleeping in that particular context. It happens all the time i have seen and i couldn't believe it, this is a true story i have seen mike easton drop dudes well over 200 pounds with body shots i thought for sure this guy had and i saw him knock dudes out clean on the regional show and then he gets to the ufc and it you know didn't exactly work out that way i don't know what happened but i have seen it i have seen it with my own eyes i'm telling you it happens constantly dudes get slept on the regular it just it's unfortunate. Uh, maybe there's less of it now because there's this awareness about what kind of sparring should take place, particularly for the older fighters, the 30 pluses. But I'm guessing that there's still a lot of that going on. And so saying Cody knocked TJ out in practice, that would be the that would not surprise me even a little bit. It also wouldn't affect my decision making about who, you know, if I'm forced to make a choice between them. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't make an impact at all. Zero. None. Um it's a condition of doing business at an elite gym. And I guarantee you it happens all the time at AKA. I guarantee you it happens all the time at ATT. Not in every scenario, I'm sure, you know. But it's like, I don't know how to explain. It's like, you know, I beat you in a foot race. All right. I mean, that happens, you know. But it's not. Now, to say you got consistently dropped or consistently owned or knocked out three, four times or something, or, you know, rocked real badly a number of times. That would change the equation. But you got a video one time of him getting knocked out. Not a story. Leaning down versus sucking water. Interesting question. Hi, Luke. I know this question may have been more relevant right after UFC 210, but this occurs quite often. Thoughts on fighters such as Cormier, Hendricks, Gastelum, and many others. Oh, leaning down, not physically leaning down, but like like trimming. Choosing to suck water versus losing body fat. I see this as being a lack of discipline at first glance. But is there some advantage that I'm not aware of that makes this preferable? I don't think so. I think you're right. It's just weight management uh, in the offseason. You know, I've talked to coaches for some of the guys you've mentioned here. Daniel will tell you himself for his last fight, he just wasn't maintaining his weight properly in between fights. And so they the hydration is like, you know, some kind of shortcut around that. No. I think you're right. I think it's just um, in the case of Hendricks, I don't know what he's done to himself, but certainly the case of Cormier and Gastelum, although I've had Hendricks's people tell me before, you know, that there's some weight management issues in the offseason. I mean, you've seen the pictures. I don't. That's not news, right? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any real benefit to it um, at all. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there might be some kind of functional purpose with having some body fat. I mean, you need some body fat to live, but you know, a little extra, maybe, maybe some kind of scientist or um, physiologist can, can give some insight here, but it's hard to see how that is really functionally valuable, especially when you have to do extra dehydration to compensate for it. I, I can't imagine that there's a real benefit to that. And someone says here, in the case of all these three fighters, They've admitted to lacking discipline with their diets. Yeah, it's not it's not rocket science. I will say Kevin Ga Kelvin Gastelum looks bigger in person than I thought. He's he's like he's a little shorter, obviously, but his his back is like that. 
and it's like he's if you look at him from profile, he's like super wide. It's he's shockingly big. Says, people look at Luke Rockhold as a big middleweight. He has come out and said he only weighs 195 pounds, so he only has to lose 10 pounds of water to make the weight, which is a very small amount for someone his size. That's right. Very, very true. Very, very true. Another lot of topics to discuss as the results of recent events like the 125 title fight, the added middleweight interim title fight, Cyborg facing charges over punching Magana, Rory's debut in Bellator, but your obligation as a human being is to tell us what the crazy fight offered to Nick Diaz was. Come on, man. You got to reveal it. I certainly do not. Someone says, it's just Wolf Ticket, so you can come and watch his show week after week. I don't promote it, donkey. L-F-M-W-A. I'm not the one promoting it. Look at all my write-ups. I don't promote it. I mentioned it one time, and people keep asking about it. Believe me, I would be happy if they stopped doing that. I'm not promoting it, donkey. Good Lord. This is like the, I mean, I can't, I can't, I just can't today. All right. Now, what are your top five fights coming up that are already booked that you are looking forward to with number one being the one you are most looking forward to and five being the least, but still cannot wait for. Ooh. Okay. Um, definitely DC Jones too, for sure. Um, noon Shevchenko. I mean, I was going to say Garbrandt and Dillashaw, but that got, that got put on ice. Um, maybe Larkin versus Lima, to be honest. Um, that fight should be stupendous. I'm trying to think here. What else is like on the radar out there? Um, you know, I've heard whispers of Zingano versus Rousey. I know it's not done yet. I know it's been discussed. Uh, what am I saying? Not Zingano, Rousey. Zingano, uh, Cyborg. Um, that would be... Tremendo, and I think you said the ones that are signed, already booked. This weekend, Gustafson versus, I don't have a ranking, but Gustafson versus uh, Teixeira is Tremendo. Um, what else is out there? Kiesa Lee looks like a banger. I don't know if that's five or not, but that's those are the ones that I've sort of got my, on the back of my mind at all times. Uh, Cody's questionable conduct, based on what we've seen of him on Tough, is No Brains a more fitting nickname for Cody Garbrandt? I've only seen like the first two episodes. Rhonda was bitchy to Misha when they coached together, but at least she didn't get physical when she was the actual antagonist. I don't think even a Cody fan could justify his actions there. Also, isn't this training video talk well past its sell-by date, right? You know, I haven't seen past the first two episodes. I like Cody Garbrandt, but this is my point about those alpha male guys. Uriah Faber is a deserving Hall of Famer. I've known him for uh, and had interviews with him. I mean, I'm not like friends with him, but I've had interactions with him um, for, you know, almost 10 years. Uh, they're smart, capable, successful guys, but they have such a venom for TJ that I don't know. I don't really know what they have to say. I'm sure there are plenty of criticisms to make of TJ, you know, as there are for every person, but they're just so angry at him or like they act like they're so angry at him that um, it's just hard to know what's real and what's just rage that has overtaken, you know, responsible judgment. 
Someone says, DJ doesn't get it. I don't see the DJ title fight from his perspective, and he just doesn't seem to get it, all right? He's trying to preserve the division and look out for fair contenders. That's just not his job. I don't think that's what he's doing. Well, half that's half of what he's doing. He says, if TJ was current champ, he'd take the fight. That is really irrelevant. DJ's job is to accept the greatest challenge and win. That is not his job. He's not the GOAT because he dispatched all his contenders, but no legends, no Hall of Fame, and no champs. That's exactly what he is. He lost to Cruz at Bantamweight, never fought Faber at Bantamweight, or Barrow at Bantamweight. Anderson, GSP, John Jones have cleared legends and former champs. TJ is that opportunity for DJ. He may. I'm not saying there's no benefit to fighting him. There might be some. It's not like there's zero benefit if you made the fight. The question is, is it worth it given the potential costs? He may even be the underdog. That's what his legacy needs, and that's a better payday than Ray Borg, much less popular than TJ. Not really. DJ wants a super money fight, but turn is, turned it down. Doesn't get it. Uh, well, number one, it's not a money fight or a super fight or a super money fight. It's none of those things to begin with. You are half right. Um, he's trying to preserve the division and look out for fair contenders. That's not what he's doing. He is trying to preserve fair architecture that deserves to be there. Saying I would accept it if he was a champ, and how is that hypocritical? Well, that would change the equation a little bit. That would be uh, a potential to collect two belts. There's a significantly bigger reward there. What does he get by beating TJ Dillashaw except bragging rights for less than 300,000 people who know who the both of them are? That's essentially what you're saying. You're saying TJ, or excuse me, DJ, pardon me, should take this fight because the roughly 300,000 uh, existing hardcore fans in the MMA universe would know how awesome that is. And he would get marginally more money. That's that's a reason to take that over a guy. I'm sorry, y'all y'all act like Ray Borg is some piece of trash. He is not. He is not. Um, I, you, look, I get it. You guys want him to do it. What you're doing is you're saying, this fight for me would get me really interested in a Demetrius Johnson fight. I, as a fight fan, I respect DJ, but he's not been in a lot of interesting fights, certainly none that have sold really well. Here's the first one that comes along that could be really interesting to me. I'm invested in this more than I would be in the other one. I understand that, but you're pasting that enthusiasm onto his decision-making and his priorities, and it doesn't work. He needs a reason to have someone jump the queue. TJ Dillashaw, the bantamweight former champion who has a fight lingering at bantamweight, doing this so he can stay active and, you know, maybe test himself because he is a good fighter, but carries a significant risk with not a ton of reward. Why on earth would TJ or DJ accept that when there's another real flyweight contender in the queue and he can break the record that way? And he doesn't feel like he needs to take on divisional changes, otherwise an absent a compelling reason. This is my point. It's not that you can't do money fights. It's not that you can't do super fights. But if you're going to do them, you need a very compelling reason to do it. And for me, this doesn't pass the smell test. It's not that big of a fight outside the hardcore community. It just isn't. If it if it really was a game changer, it, okay, that'd be something. But it's not. It's not a game changer. Mighty Mouse versus Killershaw or Whitaker versus Romero. Which one of these mega fights? Now there's a mega fight. Peaks your interest more. Uh, well, now there's a mega fight. Um, I don't see Whitaker Romero. <laughs> For me, but I don't think it's wrong to say 
DJ versus TJ is more interesting to you than Whitaker Romero. You can, I mean, I don't think it's an incorrect, you know, way to look at this. Uh, Let's do this. See if that helps. My computer is draining battery despite being plugged in. So that's fun. Um, e either one of those fights could be great or both could be terrible. You never know. But because Whitaker Romero is booked and because I do think you can make an argument that the best middleweight is the winner of those two, I'm, I'm very, very excited about it. Look, I'm not going to cry if they make Mighty Mouse versus uh dillashaw i'm not you know it, i'm sure it would be a great fight uh but i just don't think it's the right one to make right now pardon me gaethje versus johnson if, if someone's asking how is it going to go if fit if Johnson can really, you know, fight in a poised and maintained way, really use his hand speed and his footwork, he can give Gaethje a ton of problems. But if he decides to brawl at all, it's curtains for him. Um, do you think Johnson will try and play a point fighting game over five rounds? If he has any brains, he will. And I think he will. At least he'll at least try. How much will Gaethje's strong leg kicks play a factor in this fight? Um... I think Johnson's going to probably try and stand in front of him as little as possible and probably going to try and back him up when he can to make that harder. I've worked That's a good question and a good, and a good point. Cyborg and UFC need a divorce. Interesting. Recent Cyborg drama is just more evidence that Bellator is her better home. Magana says UFC called the police and UFC convinced her to press charges. I mean, I don't know how credible a person she is, but okay, let's say that's true. UFC never asked her to stop harassing, bullying, or slandering Cyborg. Fighters have hit each other tons of times and didn't call police. Tons of weigh-in or press conference examples. Uh, ever three other skirmishes at the retreat. That's what he writes. But only Cyborg gets the book. If anything, UFC, UFC should advise against authorities' bad press for both fighters. They left her image out of the retreat programs. They build and promote with 125, while 145 dies and offers Cyborg more 135ers. It's a lost cause. UFC and Cyborg won't work together. Hopefully, Cyborg can legally defend Battery well. Steady slander from the top of the organization all the way down, no penalties, and often non-cage fights, so no penalties. Hello, Bellator. It's a decent point. It's a really decent point. I'm not sure how how much someone could really disagree with that. Um, why is this thing buzzing so hard? You know what? Let's do this. That. And we're going to do this. All right. Let's see if that helps. Um, Certainly, I think Coker, and, I mean, Coker has had, you know, people forget that Coker had, and Cyborg had some issues as well. But at this point, I think they'd be happy to take her. It's just that, look, as I mentioned at the top of the program, this is lean times, man. This is the time when the UFC uh, needs all the star power they can get. It, to your point, they seem to have an inability to really come to some kind of an agreement on how to properly use it with respect to her, uh, which, you know, is is certainly a problem. But 
I think until it gets just absolutely and utterly toxic, uh, they won't let her go, which I can understand uh, given the considerations. But, but you know, your point is well is well taken. I think it's a really astute observation. This just doesn't work. And you know, look, and and again, when I say this doesn't work, I'm not blaming the UFC. Uh, I don't think either party really is in a position to work well with the other one. And and Cyborg has had her issues. UFC has certainly had hers. There's a just it seems like a general level of mistrust between them. Um, it's not a really functional, healthy relationship. You know, you contrast that with uh, who's got a really positive relationship with the UFC these days. You know, not many, I suppose, but certainly whatever Group McGregor's reservations are, they're able to come to an agreement about business, even when he does things deeply off the beaten path. Right? He seems to be an effective partner <laughs> for them. Pretty, pretty, pretty admirably. Um, it just is not working out all that well for for Cyborg. Middleweight interim title. How awesome is the Romero Bobby Knuckles fight? I think it's fantastic, man. I think it's fantastic. A guy who's a little bit older versus a guy who's a little bit younger. Uh, a clash of different nationalities, which I always appreciate. You know, two guys from totally different backgrounds. I love that about the fight game. Two guys from the very different styles, very different kinds of athleticism and skills. Uh, they pose different challenges. They both have different weaknesses. They both have different strengths. They're both arriving at this position from a very different time. You know, you could argue that this is really a bigger moment for Bobby Knuckles. He's the future of the division. But, um, but man, what 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 a what a sensational fight! The only thing, the only knock on this fight is. Romero, I think, wants to be and can be an interesting, if unorthodox, self-promoter, but there is a language barrier. And in the case of and in the case of uh, Whitaker, he's a reluctant self-promoter. Obviously, he speaks the language quite fine and is an interesting character, certainly an admirable fighter, but not exactly like a dynamo behind the mic. Uh, I've interviewed him a number of times. Uh, I'm not bagging on him. No one has to be anything more than what they want to be. It's just I can see that this fight, this is one of those fights where if you're a hardcore fan, you're like, oh, damn, this is going to be amazing. But if you're not, you might be looking at this and saying, what is really so interesting about it? What What is really going to be the hook for the casual fan? I'm a little bit worried about that um, because neither of those guys are really in a position to to majorly sell it. You know, So there there is that knock on it, but... But, you know, if you're there in that arena or you're watching on that night, I have a very hard time seeing how that's going to be a bad fight. Uh, anything's possible, but that seems that seems very unlikely. All right. Let's see what's going on here. I'm going to have to read off my thingy here. Uh, all right. This is live chat t-shirts. Will you be selling any more of the live chat t-shirts? I'd love to buy one if they go on sale again. I'm definitely going to be doing it. I'm going to be doing them in darker colors, like black. I've got a lot of different designs. Uh, thinking about making a deadlift one. Thinking about making a barbus one. So yes, the answer is absolutely yes. But I've got a lot of projects that I'm working on right now that I'm kind of tied up with. So I just don't have time to get to it. I'm, I'm guessing um, probably at the end of the summer or the early fall. Uh, after my birthday slash after my wedding anniversary slash after vacation somewhere in that timeline when I've got a lot of these projects put behind me. Um, also my contract is up with Sirius XM around the same time. So I'll have to renegotiate that. So let me get through all this stuff. We got a big summer coming up, man. I know 
I know we don't have like, oh my God, Connor Ronda level fights, but man, you look at that 213 card, it's a banger. It's a banger. I don't know what they're gonna do for 214. I don't know what they're gonna do for TJ and DJ. I don't know what I don't know what's gonna happen there. But there's gonna be some good fights coming down the line. You know, look, it's a lean time in the sense of the grandiosity that we missed in 2016. Um, but if you're a hardcore fan, I'm not gonna say 2017 is your reward because it's a down year for everybody. But I think what I would say is there's a lot to like, man. There's a lot of redeeming stuff happening. There's a lot of fights where if you just accept this is a boom and bust sport, it's how it always has been and how it always will be. Um, there's going to be down years, a couple of down years, maybe several down years in a row, and then it will climb back to life. Guys come out of the woodwork and all of a sudden just change things in an instant. This is how it's going to go every time. It's just the way it is. You gotta, you gotta live through the lean times, and then the happy days. I, I'm, I, I'm totally confident we'll be here again. You just gotta, you gotta eat it for a little bit. Uh, someone says UFC and Chris Cyborg. Another question about this, Luke. Is it fair to say that one, this relationship has effectively ended? No. And two, the whole exercise was a total and complete waste of time. Not yet on either of those cases. However, we are perilously treading close to them. At this point, I just want the UFC to release Cyborg and have her sign with Bellator. Scott would find interesting ways to promote her, and the UFC has shown zero commitment to creating a women's 145 division. You know, I thought a lot about, about this, too. I don't know why they created that 145-pound belt, you know. Everyone's like, why haven't they signed Megan Anderson? Let's be clear about Megan Anderson. She is a tremendous talent, a tremendous talent, man. Very, very good. But she's still developmental, too, man. She's still developmental too. I think Cyborg would have her uh, her way with her. I really do. Um, I thought it was smart when her team said, you know, we need a few more fights in Invicta. I think she needs about another year or so down there to really season up, uh, work on some of those defensive liabilities. When she's coming forward as a striker, she'll tear you to pieces. But there's been times where she's shown some grappling liabilities and some defensive liabilities in the stand-up. I think she needs some time to work that out, you know, just rushing her there and putting her in a title fight because, again, it sounds awesome you know, we're just committing the same mistakes, mistakes, uh, pride made over and over and over and over again. Um, it's, it's a lean year, y'all. It's a lean year. You're just trying to manufacture interesting things by going around architecture or pushing prospects before they're ready. No me gusta. That has long-term consequences that will reveal themselves later. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. Which by the way is why I love, I love, 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 the idea, anyway. We'll see how it looks in practice. But I love the idea of Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. Couldn't be happier about it. think it's such an unbelievable idea. I've got a whole video on my own YouTube channel you can check out. But it is brilliant. It is brilliant for all those kinds of reasons. It allows them to sign guys who aren't ready. It gives them time to get prepared. You put it on Fight Pass. I'm told Invicta does great numbers, if not the best numbers for any non-UFC programming on there because you know that you're going to see those women in Invicta. You're going to see them in the UFC. There's a real connectivity there. You can create that on the men's side with the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series and, of course, women's side too. I'm sure there will be both for them, but I'm just sort of pointing out it probably be more men than women. Um, doesn't interfere with the weekend schedule, and and it allows them to sign interesting prospects. And not all of them have to work. Some don't have to. But, you know, you're asking me, what would you do with CM Punk? That's where he needs to be. He needs to be on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. Let's see if he can actually do it. The Ultimate Fighter is not built for Fight Pass. The Fight Pass, 
I know they're building like shoulder programming around it. Oh, we're going to build all these different shows and where are they now and stuff. And I don't have access to their numbers, but my hunch is it's not a shoulder programming network, at least not right now. It's a live event network. That's really what it's about. That's when I know as a Fight Pass customer who likes Fight Pass, that's when I use it the most, right? That's where Megan Anderson needs to get, I mean, or Invicta, right? But on that Fight Pass kind of level, you know, we're not going to get the marquee stuff. The marquee stuff live is going to be on pay-per-view and TV rights. That's just where it's going to be for the foreseeable future. I wish that would change, but it's not going to, at least not anytime soon. So what can we do? We can create more live events, but we need to create live events, not just putting Shuto on there or Shuto Brazil or, or you know, VFC or whatever. No, no. Put something where you know those donkeys are, are going to end up, the better ones are going to end up in the UFC directly, branded, handshake deal between it. That's what you need, and that's what you're going to get, What I think, with Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. I love the idea. I think it's fantastic. And if you're a Fight Pass customer, I think you should love it too. I guess we'll see how they execute on that vision. But um, I think they can. I, I think it just gives them latitude in who they can sign, how they can present it, how they can groom people. It's big, man. They don't have the capacity to – I mean, think about this. The UFC, as good as it is, we use the word good loosely. Like, oh, they're, they're, they're the best organization, but they're not the best at everything. Bellator, as it stands, has a comparative advantage in grooming prospects. Look at what they're able to do with Ed Ruth. Ed Ruth has quietly been on these Bulgarian cards or Bellator prelim cards, just racking up time, racking up time. No, he's not selling a bunch of tickets or making a bunch of headlines, but that's not what he needs to be doing right now. What he needs to be doing is just getting better, and that's what he is doing. He's getting a lot better every single time. Um, they have the capacity to do that because they don't have this brand that has to be seen as the very, very best of all time or the, the very best around. They're able to say, we've got a lot of good fighters you should care about, and that's really what our product is about. It's a fun entertainment product with good fighters. Some may be really, really, really good. But they don't have this identity as the best, lo mejor. It's not who they are. Uh, now, this gives them an added ability. It gives them a structural ability to be more nimble in their signing and their grooming process, which they have not had before. It's hard to groom someone like Sage Northcutt in real UFC events because he has to fight real UFC dudes for the most part. That's tough, man. Let's give him somebody more commensurate with his skills at the moment, and then let's see where he can go. And if he turns out to be really, really good, let's bump him up to the big show, man. And in the meantime, we get to see this guy uh, for on Fight Pass on Tuesdays. Let's see. Good question, man. I have wondered about this too. Frankie Edgar's future. Luke, what are your thoughts on the Yair fight at 211 and what is next for Frankie? I know this is a little old, but you have not broken it down in the live chat and your Monday morning analyst. You mostly talked about the lack of Enswell. I did do that. What, uh, what will Frankie's legacy be when it ends? I don't, I got to be honest. <sighs> Like they, I felt like the UFC was trying to usher him out of that division is what I felt like. I felt like they were trying to say, let's turn the page on Frankie a little bit here because he's a little Rich Franklin-ish for us, but a, a little bit worse. Um, you know, Franklin eventually did lose to other guys. He eventually did lose to Dan Henderson or whatever, like Kung Lee's and, the, you know, whatever. But um, Frankie just keeps beating all these contenders and all these really good fighters and then doesn't even come close to beating Jose. So what are you going to do with that? Um, if Holloway wins, I think it's probably okay. But I really feel like Frankie had a window there.
where he should have taken Bantamweight more seriously as an option. And now you got guys like Garbrandt tearing it up down there. Now you got guys like TJ Dillashaw tearing it up down there. Dominic Cruz obviously still a force to be reckoned with down there as well. He may get his title back. Who knows? But I feel like that window kind of closed a little bit on a chance where he had to really take gold. And now he's still at featherweight. Granted, he doesn't have to cut weight to do it. Okay. But what if Jose wins again? They're going to do a third one of those? Like, is there any momentum behind that? I just don't understand. So I guess maybe he's waiting to see what happens between those two. If Max wins, that changes things a little bit. But so to me, to answer your question, what's Frankie's legacy going to be? Let's see how things shake out. But what I don't want to see him do is just languish. I don't want to see that ultimately the decisions he's made the last year or two come back to cost him when he could have made a bolder move in a weight class and potentially have more success. I mean, that's not a given either. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's certainly intriguing. I guess we'll have to see. He really needs Max Holloway to win big time. But, you know, he is a guy who achieved UFC championship status and defended it. So take that for what it's worth. Did Misha and Caraway break up? God damn, I have no idea. I know you don't like to comment on athletes' personal lives, but I've heard rumors for this effect for a while. Also, neither has appeared on the others since Misha, other what? Instagram? Since Misha's abrupt retirement. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Do you have definitive rules for when the interim title fights are made in MMA? What would the rules be? There is no definitive rules. There's merely guidelines. You need to have a lot. One of the best things that the UFC has is latitude. They have promoter latitude to do certain things, right? Where there's certain guidelines in place about what they want to do and what they can do, what they need to do, what they should do. But they're not ultimately uh, stuck in having to uphold them when it doesn't really make sense. For me, if certainly if the champ is out for an extended period, let's say nine months to a year, um, that is a scenario where you can create one. If a champion is you know, unable or unwilling to defend, I suppose you could strip. That's another one. Um, but really, it's quite simple. Is if there is uh, a champion who's unable or unwilling to defend for a period of time longer than nine months, um, and the rest of the division could benefit from it, or frankly needs it because there's just a host of contenders out there looking for something. I really have no objections to it. I think this is one of the, I think most fans would agree they don't like interim titles, but this particular use of it at middleweight today uh, is one of the better ones they've seen. Certainly, I would agree with that. I mean, the one in the case with Dominic Cruz being out, I think, is you know almost a no-brainer, right? The guy's gone for so long, but um, but in the case of this one where. You know, they need to keep the division moving. It's it's never really been better. And they got these guys hungry and angry. Hangry. They need to keep things going. This is a great way to to do that. It solidifies a number one contender. It could arguably solidify the best fighter in that division. It's It seems like it passes the smell test. A lot of this is just sort of feeling for thing. But if you're asking me, like, what would be the threshold for a, a wait time, nine months to a year for me is like, it's too long. It's too long. Not in every case, but in many. But if a champion is out, let's say nine months, and there's not really interesting contender fights that like you're just dying to get made, maybe you don't make it. It's just that for me in middleweight right now, you've got these guys visibly talking garbage 
S to the promoter of the organization because they're bitter. You got to do something about that, man. You got to make them happy. You got to give them a reason to get out there and go for the gusto. And that's what they did. And I think I think most of us would agree that's the right thing to do. Any news on Kane? No, it's funny you mentioned that. I actually looked into that this weekend. Did not get anything back yet, but I am looking into it. But that's a that's a good and important question. Oh yeah. Chocolate chip, protein shake. I don't know that I believe in the anabolic window, which is what they say is two hours after intense exercise. Your body is sort of most receptive to nutrient uh, nutrients. I don't know if that's real. There's some science that suggests that others don't abide by it. I don't know if it's real, but what I do know is I prefer to have a shake after a workout because it's a good way to maintain my macros and... Uh, I like something sweet after a workout. You know what I'm saying? All right. It's about 2.15. Let us go to the Twitter machine, and we will get to these questions. You can follow me on Twitter at LThomasNews, or uh, you can ask a question at ChatRappers, C-H-A-T-W-R-A-P-P-E-R-S. I know it's the worst hashtag in the world, but it's the one that we use. All right. Uh, I don't know why people care about my opinion on this. You've told us about your favorite supplements. By the way, um, I've actually not. There's a supplement. You guys know Lane Norton. He's a uh, he's a bodybuilder, sometime powerlifter. He's got a PhD, I believe, in nutrition science. Not exactly sure what the PhD is in, but he is a doctor. Um, not like a medicine doctor, but uh, he has a doctorate. In any case, um, he has a line of supplements called Carbon. That's the name of the brand. Um, um, his pre-workout, let me recommend that. A lot of pre-workouts are just caffeine or they have like um, niacin in them and they make your face get all tingly and they you get all stimmed out and then you can't sleep if you take it after work. He's got one for his pre-workout on carbon that is, it doesn't make you feel stimmed out at all. It has, you know, citrulline malate, creatine in it. It tastes good and it's just ingredients that matter-of-factly work. It's not like the most ultimate boost ever, but if you want a really good pre-workout that doesn't make you feel stimmed out, uh, check out Lane Norton supplements. I've used them now, and I have very, very positive workout responses to them. Um, he also has something called Avatar Nutrition, which is a way to sort of count your macros. Trash talk or hot dog covered in yellow mustard? What caused Iaquinta to slap food out of Cajun Johnson's hands? I have no idea. Speaking of Cajun, how mad do you think Rory is that he shouted out his 400K Bellator purse Monday on the MMA Hour? I'm sure he's not thrilled. Uh, feelings on the Bellator NYC card. I'm excited about it. I'm excited to see what it does. I'm excited to see how much they can fill it out. I'm excited to see what the consumer response is. I'm excited to see some of those fights. I think Larkin versus Lima, like I mentioned before, that's a killer fight, man. That's a super killer fight. So uh, I'm I'm pumped for it. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. It could be a big hit. We'll see. 
if successful, could this put a large dent in the gap between Bellator and UFC? No. Have you heard anything about UFC or Bellator coming back to Chicago? Man, if they never go back, I don't care. I care about them coming to this neck of the woods. And I think Gary Russell Jr., the MGM opened up a place so called uh, – called, um, the MGM opened up a uh, facility in this place called the uh, I think Grand Harbor. It's actually technically in Maryland. It's just over the bridge uh, from D.C. and Virginia. And there's now an MGM outlet there. like Not outlet, but like an MGM casino there, hotel. It's got the MGM logos and the Lions and everything. Uh, Lomachenko fought there, and now Gary Russell Jr. is going to fight there. I'm wondering when some of these MMA promoters are going to come around here. Uh, can McGregor use a spinning back fist against Mayweather? What supplements do you take? Again, the carbon free workout is really, really good. Um, and then I just take uh, some creatine, a monohydrate, five grams a day. Don't need any more than that. Doesn't matter when you take it, just take it. And um, I take. Uh, I'll, I'll link it up later so you guys can see it. Who outside of the UFC would give Joanna her biggest test? Livia Hanata Souza or Kerry Melendez? Souza. Who would win? Cowboy Habib? Habib. Nate Alvarez? Probably Alvarez. Habib Hendricks, open weight. Might even be Habib there. Or Edgar Habib. Habib. But y'all know I'm a mark for Habib. So. Take that for what it's worth. Uh, if and when they make a women's flyweight division, how long before we see Bullet Valentina against Joanna uh, Jacek? Boy, I would love to see that. I would love to see that. Does Musasi versus Romero not make more sense than Whitaker versus Romero? Um, that's an interesting question. That's an interesting question. I, I just think there's a lot of belief about Whitaker being the future of that division. I think that's what this is really about. They probably also want to push into Oceana more than they have. Um, but that's an interesting question. Certainly, Masasi's resume is pretty good, right? Is Dana White to blame for the mistreatment of Cyborg? And have you listened to her on the Big Brown Breakdown? Man, everybody has told me about Cyborg's interview on Brendan Schaub's podcast. I have not listened to it yet. I've been meaning to. I've got to make a note about that. Everyone has raved about it. No, I have not heard it yet, which is my fault. i got to do it. Um, is he to blame? You know, he's not strictly to blame, but certainly, you know, you set the tone as the leader. I was there at, at, in Baltimore when he did the whole dance calling her Vanderlei Silva in a dress. I mean, this has negative consequences, right? Uh, her argument that this set a cultural tone out of acceptance and in the organization, I think is hard to argue with, you know. The donk that said DJ isn't the GOAT because he hasn't beaten legends. He is a legend of the division. Wanker. All right. Do you think the hypothet do you think hypothetically a win over TJ would solidify his status as GOAT? I mean, people are already calling him that, but sure, I'm sure it wouldn't hurt. Yeah. Or does he or does Merritt say he needs Borg? Y'all act like you won't call him that after he beats Bray Borg. Yes, you will. Which is exactly the point. Um, how long before Lightweight is un-effed? Oh, God, they've got to resolve that Habib-Tony nonsense, which those guys have exacerbated the problems. This is what I mean, man. Every time someone does a super fight and then leaves... 
just creates a mess. It creates a mess. Which fight do you prefer for Rory, Larkin or Lima? Okay, either is awesome. But if I had to prefer one, or the question is, which one do I prefer? It's Larkin. That Larkin fight has got me intrigued because his takedown defense is nasty now, and he is obviously a brutalizer on the feet. What would a loss to Cormier do to Jones? Refocus or spiral out of control? I think it might refocus him, to be honest. Um, I think it might refocus him. But it would also be a devastating loss on his career. You know, It would be huge. It would be huge. How funny is it that Cyborg made Weidman move to punch Magana? <laughs> Y'all want to fight Cyborg? I know people out there talk all this garbage like, oh, you know what? I don't know. I could take Demetrius. First, as I said before, Demetrius will beat you within an inch of your stupid life in less than 30 seconds, me included. Uh, but there are some people who aren't afraid of him. You want to talk garbage? You guys remember back in the day, uh, Terry Tate, office linebacker? Where this guy would go, he would dress up like a football player, or at least with a jersey on. He's this giant black dude, and he would go around the office just like wrecking people who are breaking office protocol. Like he just like, you know, blast double this dude. And then you hear him scream at him, that's a long-distance phone call, Doug. Right? Imagine taking taking Cyborg around to all these people who talk a gang of uh, crap about her. Y'all want to do it to her face? She will knuckle you into the dirt, bro. Quick. Who is this? Also, Whoop-Ass Willie is making his post-UFC debut soon. I feel like people forgot him. Can you give him a shout out? What's up, whoop ass Willie? Couldn't agree more. Uh, da, 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 da. Over under on sound checks for this live chat. Huh? Not so bad today, right? I mean, just pure luck, to be honest, but whatever. Should the UFC take away Bisping's middleweight belt if he does not fight in 2017? Wow, that's interesting. Take it away. Um, no, no. But this is why I'm glad they're creating the interim middle one because I'm assuming he, if if he doesn't fight in 2017, it's because he physically can't. If he's choosing not to, then that's different. But let's assume it's because he physically can't. Then no. But as as, as aforementioned, that's why I'm really glad there's a middleweight title there. Really, really glad. Or oh, I'm sorry, the interim one. Keep that floating, man. Those contenders are ready to rock. Let's let's do that out there, right? Whose stock do you think rose the most from the retreat? Cajun Johnson or Cyborg? Probably Cajun Johnson. If you were WME, after analyzing the spill out from the retreat, are you doing it again next year? Yes. Yes. Whatever negative headlines came from it, um, remember, they're serving a larger function that probably disincentivizes collective action. And again, I think they also are probably trying to help some of these guys. So, yeah, I think they do do it. Yeah. Uh huh. What do you make of Iaquinta's interview in the MMA Hour this past Monday? Unfortunately, I have not seen that yet. Tonin or Aoki? Tonin is a vastly superior grappler to Shinya Aoki. He should have no problems with him. The UFC suspends Cyborg. Does that freeze her contract in any way? Yes, I think it does. 
extending their deadline to give her a fight? Yes, I think it does. The news of the week for me was the amazing performance of Roxanne Modafferi. Yeah, did y'all see her at Invicta? Stoppage was a little weird, you know, because uh, Sarah Delelio was moving underneath, but it was a nasty cut she opened up from Mount. And uh, when the referee pulled her off, I think it was Mike England, the the the, the new I call it Mike, the new Steve Mazagati England. Um, she didn't object. She didn't object. You know, it wasn't like, you know, Phil Baroni, Evan Tanner, where he punched Larry Landless in the face. It's not what it was. Uh, she kind of was just like, oof. You know, thank you for saving me. It seemed like. Uh, why did Cyborg get charged when other scuffles don't, i.e. Cormier Jones, Jason High? Jason High just pushed someone. Paul Daly. Yeah, that's a, well, he got cut. I mean... Lee Kiesa, why is she different? Well, Lee Kiesa is sort of a semi-self-defense situation. Um, yeah, I, it's a good question. I have to ask the UFC. There are that it feels like there might be some inconsistencies there, but there also might be something I'm a greater picture there. I'm not uh, observing. So, in the interest of fairness, um, I don't, I don't want to answer it because I don't know. It, if what you're saying is, Luke, I'm identifying a pattern here or some kind of inconsistency. I, I see what you're saying. I'm not denying it, but I'd like more information to be honest from the UFC's perspective about that, which I intend to hopefully get soon. Do you think DJ is scared to face TJ Dillashaw or the top five contenders in the 135 pound division? No. If Connor beats Mayweather and he won't and Canelo beats triple G, could there be a mega fight between Canelo and Connor? Sure. Is it uh, is it possible to get your radio show in the UK? Is it live only and you can listen to after the fact? Um, there is a way to get it, uh, but it is mostly for American and Canadian audiences. But I always tell people if you go to my SoundCloud account, or you go to my YouTube account. I post a lot of extra stuff there. You can, if you can't get it, uh, there's a great way to get free stuff after the fact. But it is certainly available if you're American and Canadian every day. All right, let's see what else we got here on the Twitters at L Thomas News. Would you rather watch again Congo Sakai full fight or the full three-two defeat to Barcelona recently? Dude, that Barcelona Madrid game was great. I'd much rather watch it. We lost, but so what? We won La Liga. Messi can take his jersey off and show people all he wants. He's the one who, you know, his team didn't. His team won fuck all this year. So, um, why the f didn't they make an Ultimate Fighter for featherweight when they already made an effing belt for it? Uh, I don't think they. I don't think they. There's a part of me that feels like that they, they really regret that and they don't know what to do with it now. Like maybe do we get rid of it? Do we not get rid of it? But I can just say this 125 is a very deep division in women's MMA, especially relative to 145. So it made a little more sense to build that out. Thoughts on Musasi being left out of the interim fight. You know, I gotta be honest, that's not something I thought a lot about before this chat. Y'all are raising some good points about it. It's interesting. It's really, really interesting. Um, I can see why he would be, if he is upset, I can see why he might be. 
especially since he was renegotiating. He could have used that as leverage. I don't know. How much would it cost for Bellator to buy out Al's UFC contract? It's not for sale. So, will DC be the goat if he beats Jones? Boy, that's an interesting question. Well, his only losses to that guy, he's undefeated across two weight classes. Uh, he would be in the conversation, yes. Uh, the loss to Jones would hurt. It would certainly set up a trilogy fight, so I don't know that it would definitively make him the far away contender for that, but it would certainly make him probably top pound for pound fighter maybe, if not right behind Demetrius. And uh, it would be, a, in other respects, a crowning achievement. TJ versus DJ or TJ versus Garbrandt? Purely from a matchup perspective, which do you find more interesting inside the octagon? How is TJ versus DJ even remotely as good as TJ versus Garbrandt? That's where a guy was a former champion, former teammate, bitter rivalry, a guy on the come up, another guy. Has an inc both have incredible styles. Uh, I don't see how that one could possibly be the lesser of those two, which is, by the way, the one we're still waiting on. All right. If you have any uh, questions, email me, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. New email. It's the same one for Instagram, LukeThomasNews. Same one for Facebook, Facebook.com slash LukeThomasNews. And then LThomasNews on Twitter. Got them about as close together as I possibly could. Thank you guys so much for watching. Uh, I'm going to a Tool concert this evening. If you see me there at the Eagle Bank Arena, say hi and don't be weird. And until next time, stay frosty. <laughs>